This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 839. What's going on, everyone? It's David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, the biggest, the best, the baddest real estate podcast on the planet. Every week, bringing you the stories, how to's, and the answers that you need in order to make smart real estate decisions now in this current market. And boy, do we have a show for you. Rob, what are some of the things that people should keep an eye out for in today's show to help them on their investing journey? Darius is a very relatable, very inspiring fellow. He uh, you know, comes from humble beginnings, and I think a lot of people will just be a little relieved to know that he was able to achieve so much by taking baby steps and scaling accordingly. He doesn't have a crazy story where he had trust fund parents or he didn't raise money. I mean, he was funding all this while he was working uh, an hourly job. So I think for everyone at home, just understand it is a marathon not a race. And so for mm. Darius, he took steps, you know? 100%. 100%. I mean, not only did he take steps, but he actually did the work. Darius was able to do this in a market that most people would have said, don't invest in at a time when everybody was saying, don't invest. Basically, he had a lot of resistance and people going against him, which is the same thing that happens when you lift a weight and it builds strength. This will all make sense later as you get into today's show. But before we bring in the amazing Darius to share his story, today's quick tip is simple. Go ask a question on one of the Bigger Pockets forums. This was a game changer for Darius. He talks about how it really helped him in his own journey. And stay tuned for some clever ways that he optimized his forum questions. Rob, anything you want to add? I guess uh, I guess I will say, you know, quick tip number two, make sure you always bring a sewer camera to an inspection because, you know, one day you might walk into your bathroom and find ramen noodles in your bathtub. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rental retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, Rental Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, 
financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. All right, let's bring in Darius. Darius Keller, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Very glad to have you here today. Darius has been investing for nine years, owns eight rental properties, mostly single families, lives and invests in Michigan near an Amazon center, has used the Burr method to snowball his gross, currently makes $66,000 a year in gross rents, and is on track to make over $100,000 in gross rents in 2024. And as a fun fact, Darius is an elite power lifter that also played college basketball. Darius, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. All right. Before we get into your backstory, can you paint a scene for us about what you discovered when you bought your first property? Yeah. So when I when I bought my first property, um, it was back in 2014. And the thing I discovered was there was no copper in the house, You know, assuming that there was a sink and stuff and that there were switches and the walls were up, you would assume that there's a electrical in the house. But when I went to the basement, there was no furnace, no hot water tank, no electrical panel. What do I do at that point? Wait, you know? wait, wait. So they had light switches on the walls, but no electricity <laughs> running to them? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, homepath.com is much different than today. It's uh, more it, back then it was uh, an auction setting, uh, like type of type of uh, purchase that I, I did. So what was going through your mind when you saw that? Like... At first, I didn't I, I didn't realize like how expensive it, it was. So that was actually a good thing. I didn't like, you know, put myself into shock. <laughs> but um, I, I did. I was questioning myself, like, how am I going to get this done? So um, just what I did is I just kept like a, a good mindset and um, reached out to people, you know. So I had um, my mother's uh, my my wife's dad who who was real, real handy. He would like not real handy with the mechanicals, but he um, kind of knew he knew people who knew how to do put work in so with mechanical so yeah well that's awesome man i cannot wait to hear how you resolve that and how you built your portfolio to over a million dollars today it's pretty crazy man but before we get there and before we we get this beautiful resolution can you paint a scene for us about what your life looked like before you found real estate what was your job what was your living situation give it give us a little bit of a, a taste here yeah so like uh, right before 2014 um before i made my first uh, purchase I was, I had to move in with family. Okay. It was a, I went from um, paying rent into moving in with um, my wife's dad. Um, it was, it was a two bedroom house, six other people in the house. You can imagine that it didn't have a basement or nothing. So it was just, you know, one floor, two bedrooms. And um, I, during that time, it was, I hit rock bottom financially. So I ended up totaling my car right in front of the house. And I was still a janitor at the time, so I was only making like ten bucks an hour. I I even keep my uh, that pay stub still just as a reminder, you know, of w what it looked like before I started. So, wow, um, that that's essentially what what it looked like. And I was still getting my master's degree at the time, so I can relate to a lot of the people that are out here watching today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what what did it feel like? I mean, I know you said you were making ten dollars an hour. Was that at all a comfortable living at that time? Was it super super tight? Did you have to were you able to save money? I was, I, yeah, I, I was able to save a little bit of money. You know, I was doing like little side jobs here and there. And um, while I was living with other people that, you know, everybody was like sharing the bills. So that kind of helped. That kind of uh, helped me as well. So I, I ended up saving almost $10,000. And that's when I start, you know, went into my first home. And, I, you know, I purchased that at a $9,100. So it was just a single family Three bed, one bath, colonial, and that was hmm. the one off of homepath.com. Did it have electricity or water? Yeah, so it had, it had it had this just to paint the picture of what it looked like. It had a um, it had the sink, the walls were up. Like I said, there were switches in the walls. Um, the exterior was 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 pretty uh, new. Everything but the siding. So like you had a new roof, new gutters, that kind of thing. I thought it was like like a move in type of situation. Yeah. I bought it off the auction. I won. You know, that's it. Hur right. you know, hooray! That kind of thing. But it wasn't. So, what do you do? You think the builder just like decided it's not worth putting money into it, or was it intentionally supposed to be a scam? Like, how do you think this happened? I think it was listed on listed for sale, and then somebody came in during the uh, sale mm. and stole everything, and stripped it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. It sounded at first like somebody built a house and put light switches, but never actually ran electrical to it because they intended just to make it look like something. But you think somebody came in and they stole the, the pipes and the electrical and everything while it was sitting there? Yeah, yeah. During that time, uh, Pontiac was was much different. It was there was a you know there was a lot of vandalism during that time. Yeah. It was you know going downhill. Um, 
it wasn't getting it wasn't getting better during that time. So this was during around the time of like all the auto companies leaving or getting shut down. Is that right? Uh, it was. It, we we were hit by the recession hard. So um, we had a lot of a blight boarded up homes. Um, there were schools that were boarded up. It was it was that more of that kind of situation. Um, GM Chrysler were still here, but uh, you know things got significantly better when Amazon showed up which was like in 2019, roughly. Well, I'm glad you made it through that. That'd be enough to make most people say, I want nothing to do with real estate. Like you're clearly somebody who had been through some difficult times before. So you're able to handle adversity like this. But I am curious, like what got you willing to jump into an asset class that you didn't know a ton about? What was going through your mind that made you want to do this? Well, I had the, you know, nothing to lose mindset. So, you know, getting a master's degree, um, you know, you're going to run up the debt, you know? So I had, you know, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt at the time. So I was just trying to survive. That was literally my goal. Like I just needed a house to cut the cost. So if I figure if I own my house, didn't have to pay the mortgage every month, um, didn't have to pay any rent. That was enough cushion for me to, you know, to be financially, uh, stable. So I had, I had no intentions of investing or anything like that. I was just trying to buy a home. And, 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 you know, that, that I could live in. And that kind of like pushes me into the second home because that's when I started to think, man, these homes are like cheap. So like I told you, the first home was like 9,100. The second home I bought for 2,500, which is like two streets away. Yeah. So I, what I, what I did is I moved my, my, um, my wife's family into that home. You know, you're the first person I've talked to that actually bought real estate at that time. I remember hearing about the stories that houses were $2,000, $1,500, that basically the the state just wanted someone to pay property taxes on these things. And a lot of them had been foreclosed on by the state and because they didn't pay state property taxes and they would like give them away almost if someone's willing to pay. What was the prevailing wisdom at the time? Were people telling you that this is a great idea to buy these houses or were people thinking, why would you ever want to buy any of those things? Oh, so, you know, I had family members say, why don't you just get a mortgage, huh. you know, and, and pay the mortgage every month? And I actually, I couldn't get a mortgage. It was very tough to get financing during that time. Well, yeah, you can't get financing on anything that's that cheap. Banks aren't going to finance a $9,000 house. You can't get a mortgage that low, which is also probably a big factor in how you ended up buying a house that didn't have electricity or water because normally that would have come up during the appraisal. They would have realized that was the case. But when you're paying cash for it and it's your first home, I can see that that being something that slips beneath the cracks. You were living in a two-bedroom property with six people, right? Yeah, yeah. So was that just like a powerful motivating thing that you're sitting there, you know, sleeping in a room with other people and cramped that you were just thinking I really want to get my own spot? Well, well no, you don't you don't think of it like that. You you think you're more you're you're living and you're saying, "Hey, uh, you're living with your man, you're living with your uh, wife's dad." It's that it's like a moral kind of thing, you know? It's just you don't want to do that, you know? Doesn't feel good. Right, right. But, you know, to go back to your question, um, there were there were a lot of people that just were shaking their heads like you're just wasting your money because there was no there was no uh, value to the properties I was buying at the time. Yeah. And Darius, you mentioned that you were one hundred thousand dollars in in debt. Was that all student loan debt or was it other debt as well? No, it was it was only student loan debt at the time. And and what were you studying? What, What what was the reason for even going and getting your master's? Yep. So I started off in graphic design and then I moved to business administration. And it was simply because I needed a boost in income. You know, I, I understood that 40, 50 grand just wasn't enough. And I was, you know, I'm one of those guys I need, I, I take things to the extreme. So I needed, you know, somebody told me that I needed a master's degree. So that's what I went and did. You know, I just, that was my instinct. That's what I was taught at the time to go get as much education as possible. Nice. Did you end up finishing that master's degree just out of curiosity? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I finished the master's degree. Um, the graphic design helped me get into the engineering um, uh, area, corporate in the corporate world. And then what happened is I became a design engineer. So that's what I'm doing now at a Fortune 500 company. Okay. So you bought this first deal at an auction in 2014. You paid $10,000 for the property and you had to go through a bidding war. You show up to see your prize and you realize it's got no water, no electricity, what was your, uh, like, walk me through what you were feeling and thinking when you go to look at the house, you're flipping on the switch and nothing's coming on. You kind of realize that you've been had. You know, like I said, I, I'm a, I talk to a lot of people. Um, I don't, sh- I don't shy around. Um, so the first, you know, I go outside my door and there's other young guys who, who are investing as well. And what I did is I was, I was friendly to him. I asked, you know, I asked the guy if he needed any water, like I had water bottles and stuff. 
available. If you need anything, just let me know. Cause his home was in the same condition as mine. Like I told you, like it was, there was a lot of vandalism at the time that there was a lot of boarded up homes, a lot of investors out there. So what happened was when I, when I uh, introduced myself to him, it was kind to him. Um, he, he offered to, uh, to look at the property and he happens to be an engineer as well. So um, an electrical engineer. So I ended up, he ended up assisting with like the furnace, the hot water tank, um, because I, because it's my primary residence at the time, I was able to, uh, you know, do go through the permitting process myself. That's they allow that here in uh, Pontiac, if, if it's your primary residence. And um, that's kind of, that's, that's really where I kind of like that initiated my learning experience, making friends with the guy across the street. I mean, he took me, you know, I pretty much learned everything. Once you learn the electrical, the, the plumbing was like, I learned the plumbing like within a day. Yeah. And then I was able to learn the gas, um, you know, within a few weeks after that, learn how to do that as well. So I learned all the trades, you know, pretty quickly. And then, like I said, when I bought that second house, you know, you pay what you get, you know, you get. So like, I, I bought a $2,500, $2,500 house at the time. And it looked like a $2,500 house. And um, once I did that house, I, I pretty much could redo you know, I could re- remodel an entire house by myself at that point because I had I had all the skill. I do I want to know? Um, but like I said, I had the skill. You know, that pushes me up into 2017 because you know it takes it takes time to, to fix up the houses because you know I, I had no money at the time. I still had no money. So in 2017, I actually um, that's when I started uh, moving up the corporate ladder, start making a little bit more money. I ended up quitting my janitor job at the time, and then I uh, financed. Uh, well, I took a HELOC on my primary residence and I bought my third property. And um, I bought that third property from auction.com for like $35,000. And it was in like a, it's in, it, that's also in Pontiac as well. So like I'm harvesting, you know, I'm a farmer in, in, in Pontiac essentially, you know. That property now is probably worth about 180, anywhere from 150 to 180. So you can imagine, you know, purchasing that from 35 grand and the homes being worth nothing to what, what you're seeing them now, you know. Uh, just a, give you the some stats in the house. It's like a three bedroom, two bathroom colonial. And at that time, again, uh, back in 2017, the websites just weren't as, they were not as sophisticated as they are today. Today, they're, they're a lot more um, competitive to purchase properties on. So when I tell people the prices on the websites, they're, they're, in, they're in shock because they're only seeing what like the Zillow's, Redfin's, and Auction.com's look like today. So you're doing this sweat equity. You're doing some of this work yourself on the property. What did that do for your confidence as a real estate investor as you learn new skills you didn't have before and you realize that you could solve some of these problems? Yeah. So once I learned how to fix everything, that took a lot of pressure off me because, like I said, I went to Auction.com and I bought that property blind. I, I couldn't go inside the property. So here, here I am. I pulled uh, 40 grand of equity out of my primary residence, and that's what I used to purchase the next prop, the third property. So if there's, if, if, if there's no pressure on me for repairing the property, then I can put all the money up to, you know, assume the property. So from there, you use the Burr method so you could get more properties. So you've got some confidence. You also know where to go get these properties. You kind of know what you're stepping into at this point. So you feel more comfortable going big. What was the pace that you started acquiring properties at and how were you funding them initially? So I would say the second property took me almost two years to re- to redo. Like I said, I bought it for uh, twenty five hundred dollars. Uh, the third and and fourth property things got a little bit faster, but I would say on average it would take me about eight months to repair a property, then put a tenant inside, and then take maybe another month to get the financing t- to pull the equity out the property. So the order of properties: the first one was ten thousand. That's the one that you bought at the I guess at the auction that didn't have all the stuff in it. The second property was twenty five hundred. The third property is when you was it did you say it was like thirty five thousand or sixty thousand? Which one which one of this? Yep. The so the second property is the twenty five hundred dollar property. The third one was the uh thirty five thousand dollar property. Got it. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So that's when I learned how to, you know, all the financing, you know, I was really stuck on the fi- how the financing goes when I got to that third property. But I also had a I, I hit a wall during that uh, third property, it had a big uh, plumbing issue. So that was a, when I got to the third property, that's when I started to, um, that's when I assumed my actual non-family member tenant as well. So that's when I really, be, I would consider that myself a real investor at that point where I had, where I started to deal with a, a lot of the problems that normal investors deal with. So the plumbing issue I, I had was a, was a, um, the pipe had a, had the snake coiled up inside of it in the yard. 
So we had to, you know, had to pay like $5,200 for, for them to dig and, and put a, 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 you know, a T in the yard from the pipe. So we would call it a clean out drain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, I, what, within that same like two month time frame, I also had another pipe break in my primary residence. And, you know, with pipe, when pipes break, everything stops. The, the kids in the house can't use the restroom. You know, I can't use restroom in my own house. So that's when I started. That's when I was like, okay, for now when I buy these properties, I really have to take a sewer camera to the auctions and, you know, into these showings with me when I do inspections. Because I was doing my own inspections as well, just to cut costs. Oh, so what's the process like of using a sewer camera to actually scope the line? Yeah, so... um you can you can use I I, I use Fairbest. It's a cheap five hundred dollar uh, camera. You can actually get a used one. It's disgusting to say, but you can. It comes with a battery. You, you know, you pull the screen out. As long as you have a fly trap, you can you can easily fish the camera from inside all the way out to the street, and you can you can see the uh, cracks. You can see uh, roots. It comes with an LED light in the front of it. You can record it and send it to the you know and send it to the uh, the seller. Hmm. You know, to to bring the price down. I mean, essentially, it, it's extremely important to have one because in some cities it could cost seven to ten thousand dollars just to get the permitting, just to cut up, cut out the street. Yeah. You know, if you have to repair a pipe. So that's where I was going at with that. You know, if I'm going to lose in this game, it's going to become it's going to become from construction, not because tenants didn't pay me rent. Right. Or I bought a bad deal, you know. So what we're talking about here is also called the sewer lateral, right? This is where the the sewer line that runs to your house from where it ties into the city typically goes under the front yard and you'll get tree roots that can climb into that or you can get different things that cause a problem. So when your house is trying to flush the waste out to tie into the city plumbing system to have it taken away, it can get back up. It can start leaking into the front yard and then you can't use the the plumbing at all. Darius, I, I relate a little bit to this because when I bought the house um, that I'm in right now, there was an issue with the, uh, the sewer. We got it scoped and uh, they said that they, you know, they agreed to fix it and we did not get it re-scoped afterwards because we're like, well, they fixed it. So we're good. Well, they lied about it. Uh, and so, you know, we are settling in. It's been a week. We're into this house. We're enjoying it. And then I walk into my bathroom and there's ramen noodles inside my bathtub uh, along with a few other unesthetically pleasing things, uh, non-aesthetically pleasing, I guess. And man, yeah, when you don't have a working bathroom shower, (laughs) kitchen sink or anything, oh man, it is pure, uh, agony and chaos in a household with kids. And of course, if they can't use the bathroom, tenants can't, you know, they're not paying you in rent. They're going to be fighting that. So, which, you know, I think is not, (laughs) not unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. 
With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. So did you end up at, at this point, because you said you had sort of learned a lot of lessons from your first properties and you had worked on the electrical and the plumbing with your neighbor. Did that knowledge transition to this third house and this problem? Like, were you pretty aware of how to do that yourself or were you outsourcing sort of right, right from the get go? Yeah. So the plumbing issue, you have to, you have to outsource that. Um, just don't have the, the tools to do that. But after the third property, that's pretty much when I hit, you know, hit the ground running at that point. That's when things got real interesting. I had an appraisal issue as well with the third house, the, you know, quick loans during that time. Again, you had some houses that were appraising high and some that are low, but it's still very tough for an appraiser when you, when, when half the neighborhood is just distressed, you know? Mm. So it's kind of, I would say it's, it's like the baby Detroit. It's, you know, yeah. that's if, if you're from the outside, you're right. That makes a, that's a great point there. So you've got a property that you bought at a low price because it's distressed and now you put money into it and you fixed it up. It, and then it's cash flowing really well. If you were to build it from the ground up, it would be way more expensive than what you've actually put into it. So there should be some equity here. But the appraiser is looking at a whole bunch of abandoned houses in the same neighborhood that are maybe worth two or $3,000. That does look at their valuation because how do they know what to compare this to if you've got the only house that's fixed up? Is that kind of what the problem was? Yeah, they came back and said the house was worth 55000 I'm looking at them like there's no way, absolutely no way. And um. So what I did is I went and got a second appraisal and it was worth that little $500. It was worth the money because they said it was worth 85,000. So I was able to take the, you know, 75% loan to value that got me around $63,000. And I took and I bought a, um, a fourth property, which is a condo, uh, which was pretty much what we would call a turnkey at that point, you know? Um, and I bought it at HOA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had that thing rented out within like a few months. Literally the issue with the HOA, I had issues with the HOA and the ticketing. And I didn't understand that they were giving just about, they were giving the tenants nearly the same amount of power as the landlord. So the tenants could actually show up to the board meetings, just like the landlord could mm-hmm. and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, and that, that rubbed me the wrong way. So what I did is I, um, I sold the condo and I bought a, um, a, I replaced it with a single family home. Mm-hmm. And um, I got the single family home from an actual wholesaler. 
And I mean, I got it. I got this right on time. It was like in 20, 2019, the same month as um, Amazon came in and um, I bought it for 42.9. Like I said, the wholesaler got it for 10,000 and it, and it's worth probably about 150. It, wow. It's next to a $200,000 house. Um, it's literally less than a quarter mile away from Amazon. Right. Le- like less than that. Yeah. Now appraisals can be tricky and, and- Part of what makes it even trickier is real estate is worth what someone's willing to pay for it, which means that that doesn't fit in as a value on a spreadsheet very well. People don't like that. They want to have a number attached to what something is worth in dollars, preferably. But with an appraisal, it's so subjective. The appraiser gets to decide. I have a cabin in uh, the Blue Ridge, Georgia mountains that I bought, and I basically built a second cabin on the property, right? The appraiser came in and gave me an additional $50,000 of value when I doubled the square footage of the property that was on that lot, right? It doesn't make any logical sense, but like that's just what the appraiser gets to say. I think that they look at what you bought it for and they try to keep the new price as close to that as they can. So for everyone that hears this, it's easy to get discouraged by that. It's easy to think you did something wrong. Oh man, I never should have done this. I only got $50,000 of value. That's not true. Cause if I were to sell this thing to someone else, they would pay way more than just 50 grand more than what I paid for it. And I've doubled what the property will be able to generate in revenue. So there's lots of different ways to value property. Appraisals can be tricky. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I had a, when I built my tiny house in Joshua Tree, um, it was really tough because there were no tiny, I, I was like the first tiny house. So I actually had to fight for three different appraisals. <laughs> they, the first one, they're like, no, that's way too high. The second one was like insanely low. And I was like, listen, we're, we're tied here. We got to get a third appraisal. And they were like, okay, that's fine. So third appraisal came in right at the amount that allowed me to take my that all, 100% of my money out. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine leaving some in, I you know, because that, that's just how the nature of the game with birds is sometimes you might leave 10, 15, 20 grand in the deal. But right. man, yeah, appraisals, you know, it's like not not as objective as you'd think. But in areas where there's a lot of comps, you can start to get an appraisal that's somewhat predictable. That's maybe a better thing than saying accurate because who knows what the house is worth. It's just worth what someone will pay for it. But when it becomes predictable, it could benefit you. So areas like Phoenix or Las Vegas, they have a lot of track housing. The appraiser's like, there's a million four-bedroom, two-bathroom houses for me to pick from. They get a very tight number that comes in, and then you can kind of plan your burr or your flip based off of that. That's one of the reasons that you just want to understand the area that you're investing in. I've said you don't have to invest in your backyard, but you got to understand the backyard you are investing in if you're going to do mm-hmm. long distance. So Darius, you're in a specific area how do you feel that just buying the majority of your portfolio in that location has been a benefit to you? Oh, I mean, it, you you you're, you created you're creating an infrastructure around you. Um, I'm using the same contractors. The mm-hmm. the the the, the uh, um, populating tenants in the properties is word. It becomes like word of mouth. Um, I have a I have a good eye of the of the rent uh, flow, so I know exactly how much the uh, the rent is for each property that I'm buying. Um, that's, that's literally like at that point, um, when in 2019, that's when I took off because I don't have to do as much of research as anymore. You know, I don't have to rely on, um, a Zillow and Redfin and stuff to, for the data. You know, I'm getting the data live, you know, cause I'm, I'm actually in it. I know you had mentioned that you were working as a janitor when you bought that first house, which I love, right? Cause I had a same blue collar approach where I just worked blue collar jobs, saved my money, worked as hard as I could, put it in real estate, started to climb my way out of that hole. At what point did you switch from being a janitor to taking that corporate position that you mentioned? And did real estate play a role in helping you make that jump? Uh, in, in 20, 2014. So in 2014, I was still only making like $14 an hour. I was a contractor at the time at Chrysler. Um, when I, when I made the bigger jump in income, it was probably in 2017. So that was like right after I bought my third property, which makes sense because you have to, you need income to qualify for the loans, you know, real estate helped when I refinanced that third property, because now I had the equity plus I had the monthly, um, net profit Mm -hmm. to use for repairs and um, purchases. You know, I've noticed that in my journey, um, I think Rob's might be a little different because my understanding is that Rob scaled his initial portfolio with partnerships. So that might not be the best example, but I'll let you weigh in in a second here, Rob. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I noticed that there is a relationship between the money that you make at your job or your business 
and the real estate that you buy. And what I mean by that is when you develop some kind of passive income, you can take risks in the job that are not as risky. If you go for another job and it doesn't work out, or if you leave the security of a W-2 to go to a, a 1099 opportunity or whatever, it's easier to do when you got a little bit of cash flow coming in. And the same is true for some of the risks that go with real estate. They're easier to handle when you've got a steady paycheck coming in and you live beneath your means, right? Like there's this kind of like both hands work together to make the wealth building journey a little bit easier. Did you notice a dynamic like that, Darius, in your world where you're working as a janitor, you're getting some momentum, getting real estate, then you're doing some physical labor on the house, your confidence is going up because of what you're learning. You buy another house, you're learning stuff about the loan process. Now that's giving you confidence in the job again. Or did you see these as completely different independent tracks? No, I saw them, I saw them completely independent tracks. I didn't I didn't look at it that way. Um I looked at my nine to five as something that that gives me stability. And I looked at, um, I still look at the real estate, like, okay, if this thing turns out well, it could, you know, give me the financial freedom. You know, the job is, is great, but you know, when you turn on the Instagrams and you know, the YouTubes and you see people buying the cars and stuff, they're using passive income. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not using the money that they're, um, working for, Mm -hmm. you know, earned income. So, you know, I really, I really pushed that, you know, like I, I just I spent over 50,000 in a year on vacations and there's no way my nine to five would be able to support that. You know, the, the passive income is what supported that. So I look at it separate. Yeah. But you were getting loans by these properties. So having some kind of steady income helps you get the financing that you were able to use to build the passive, right? Yes. Okay. You also have uh, a perspective here on like live data. So when you're at an auction and you're bidding, you're looking at live data versus someone on Zillow that's looking at stale data. Can you kind of go into your perspective on that? Yeah, yeah. So between 2021 and 2022, I bought five properties, okay? And people, kept, you know, I went to Flint. I went to an entire, 40 miles out from Pontiac. You know, Flint is not, it's, it's very uh, distressed. It's, 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 you know, they had the water crisis. They had the recession. We had COVID out there. I mean, there's a lot of things that hit Flint. They got different kind of problems out there. Mm-hmm. So I went to a high risk area to buy properties. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of people out there who were saying, oh, don't buy in Flint because it's a bad area. And what I did is I actually went to the auction, stood in line, saw how many people were waiting for the properties. And I started telling people, hey, that data that on that's on Zillow is not real. You know, that's not live data, you know, and, uh, you know, the live data is, is when you're in the auction, you're actually seeing it happen right in front of you. You know, the live data is when, you know, I'm, I'm in the auction online getting beat and putting, you know, blind offers at $60,000 for two bedroom houses in rough areas. So what's, what's the uh, advice that you give to somebody who tends to make their decisions about where to buy, what to buy, what to pay off of data that they get from the internet, like sources like Zillow? I would say actually go to the, actually go and see the properties. You know, people think they can sit behind the computer and do everything. You, you, you just can't. You can't fully inspect a property from behind the computer. You actually get up and, and go to the property. And sometimes it pays off too, because you may see something to um, use you know, as a negotiating factor to bring the price down with you and the um, seller. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I, I've been able to take the price down by like $10,000 on a property because something, uh, you know, there's some like uh, minor repairs that are needed that are not um, shown in, online. Are you still buying properties at auctions? Yes. Yes. Okay. What about that? Like if somebody isn't sure about it, hasn't done it before. Can you just describe how that's different than buying properties traditionally using a loan and maybe who this is good for and who it's not good for? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some auctions where you can use a loan. Um, the auctions I go to generally, you, you cannot use loan. You have to use, you know, hard card cash. The auctions, like for example, in Flint, you, the good things about those is that you can actually go and see the property. Um, many times the online auctions don't allow you to physically go and see the property. So there's a disadvantage to, to those types of auctions. The prices of the properties, uh, you, you know, they're not evaluated. So they're just pretty much, they get the properties and they put them up for sale for, for whatever the city's, the, whatever they're owed to the city. Cause they know the city owns the properties where you, if you, if you're going to Zillow or if you're going to MLS, you know, the open market, you look at a property at that point, 
the point you're starting as somebody has already evaluated the property, they evaluated the condition of the property, that, that kind of thing. So, you, you know, you're not, you're likely to not get as good of a deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, buying four properties, that's, or, or I guess four or five properties in a year. That's pretty crazy, man. Like a lot of people work their whole lives to just get four to five properties in general. So the fact that you were able to scale at that level that quickly into your career, um, I think it just, it shows that you figured it out. But from my understanding, when you were trying to figure out how to scale, you took that question to the BP forums. How did that help you? Yeah. So, it, so really, when I go to the uh, bigger pockets forums, I'm looking for like reassurance. And I think that's how other, people's can, other people can use the bigger pockets forums. You know, if you're if you're investing in real estate, you're already a smart person. That, lets, that says a lot about you. But if you're looking to know if you're doing things right, or if you're organizing your portfolio correctly, you can go to the forums to find credible people for help. My issue was I didn't know how to scale. And somebody told me what they did is they refinanced their four unit and bought a bunch of single family homes. I didn't have a four unit. I didn't have, you know, I only had single family homes. So what I did is I did multiple refinances and then I bought a spread of single family homes at one in, in a small period of time, which is what I did in uh, 2021 and 2022. And uh, can you recap for us what your cash flow and your portfolio is looking like now and what's what's on the horizon? Yeah, so um, nine total properties, one I live in, three are currently being uh, remodeled right now. They should be finished at the end of the year. And then five are actually uh, occupied and rented. So those five bring in about 66,000 annually. And after those other three are remodeled, we're, we're you know, we're looking at a total of 102,000 roughly a year wow. from the rent. And I don't have I, I don't have any partners only, you know, I only partner with the bank. So generally I use the same uh, lender for the investment properties. And I go to a, you know, like a credit union for a prime, my, my primary residence. What's the cause of why the rents are going to jump by that much? It's like a 40 percent increase. Number one, my rent is actually because most of my tenants still stay in this. I've been staying in my properties for a long time. So I, I'm very uh, conservative on the rent increases and the rent is still going up. You know, values are still going up over here. Like, like I said, we have GM, Chrysler, and I have Amazon that, is, that just just arrived here. We also have a uh, United Shore. They're very uh, big as well over here. So um, this that just happened like in the last couple years. But are rents increasing by forty percent? Are you having new properties coming into the portfolio that are also going to be bringing rent? Oh, I I, I see. So the current rent is of uh, between the five properties a total of sixty six thousand, mm-hmm. but. Those three, those additional three properties are going to bring gotcha. in another thirty six thousand. Sorry, that about makes that. sense. Yeah. So, so you're adding a lot more cash flow because of these remodels that you have going on. Yes, pretty sweet to be coming on as we may be heading into an economic recession. You're going to be making more money. And just to bring more uh, uh, clarity, those additional properties that I purchased, those have no debt on them. Whoa! So I went to the auction. I bought them. You know, pretty you know pretty close to zero. Wow. That's crazy. So at this moment on the $66,000 per year, what's the actual cash flow, like the net profit to you? Yeah, I would say about 60%. Wow. And and then does that, will you get even more profit once those other three are live because you own those outright? Yes, yes. But my plan is to refinance everything and put debt on them. Number one, because it protects you. And number two, my plan, my original plan was to buy, you know, a spread of homes really quick and then refinance all the homes once I get my uh, cash flow up, it, that way I, my DTI is a lot lower when I go to the bank. So now that you, you're you're pretty seasoned in all of this, are you still DIYing any components of your rehabs? Yeah. So what I what I try to explain to people like we look at just the we look at just the houses, but I also own the refrigerators, I own the process as well. I own about twenty thousand in power tools. So what I'm trying to do is is build my own internal team. Mm-hmm. So like right now I have a I have one person like working part-time. My plan is to make them full-time eventually, you know, in the future, just, you know, for the repairs in, in, in like as my own internal property manager to take some of the load off of myself. So you're thinking about creating like a property management slash rehab internal team to work on your properties? Yes. And are they going to be like salaried people? Right now, hourly. Okay. So you guess about, and then they'll just work when you have work. And then when you don't have work, they can do something else. Exactly. So have you thought about extending this into a business once you've got these people that are working under you that maybe you have other investors in the area that need a crew and you just 
charge the difference or keep the difference between what you charge that person, and what you pay the people. Exactly. And that's, that's where I actually got um, my employee from. I actually was able to re- refer to someone else mm-hmm. for help. So I love that. I think that's the future going into this new market. That's how everyone should be thinking. It's in Pillars of Wealth. I talk about how um, we have to be thinking about investing as a way to make money, but also offense. What are you actively doing in the business world or in your job or in a commission space, whatever it is, to make more money? And you've got a great synergy. You're going to save money by having people that do the work on your own remodels because you don't have to pay a contractor who's going to keep a profit. And then on, in addition to that, you're going to make money by actually making that profit yourself by having these people work on other people's jobs because you're willing to build this expertise and do the work, which I will add, you probably have the confidence to do that because you had to step into that nightmare project in the beginning and learn how to do it, right? So while that looked like a reason to quit, you turn that into a possible business that you can use to make money and scale your portfolio even more. Exactly. Good job on that. Thank you. Yeah. What about, uh, what's the total equity across the portfolio? I would say the total. So it's three, 350,000 in debt, a real estate debt and 1.1 million is probably what the uh, portfolio is worth. Not bad at all, that's man. Not bad. That's I mean, amazing. Yeah, you feel proud about that? You, like, what are your thoughts? Are you uh, trying to? I just, to grow I just, it? I wasn't looking at it like that from the beginning. Um, like I said, I was buying twenty five hundred dollar, you know, and ten thousand dollar houses. It, it, it wasn't. That was not my motive originally. Like I said, when Amazon came here, that's when things got interesting because, you know, Pontiac was more so of a lower uh, class yeah. uh, city as far yeah. as like the, the the home values, the income per household and stuff. So back in 2014, rents were probably around f- between 550 to $700. Now for like, a, like I said, a two bedroom rents like $1,400 a month. I'm thinking that the rent is going to get to like $1,800 per house mm-hmm. for a th- regular three bed, uh, one bathroom house. So in order to get to the position you're at, Three quarters of a million dollars of equity, pretty massive cash flow in this portfolio. A couple things you did really well that I just want to highlight. One, you jumped in and you took action. And when it went wrong, most people would be completely wiped out if they had found out that they bought a house that doesn't have electrical or plumbing. You found a resource, which was the neighbor. And you jumped in and you did a lot of the work yourself, which built up a lot of skills that are now helping you at this point. You kept going. You said, hey, I'm going to buy another one. And you were always finding stuff below market value that you added value to. That's a very good principle just to take in mind that you were always paying less than what you could have by going to an auction. And then you were adding value to it by doing the work and you got in there and did the stuff. You didn't just get frustrated that you couldn't find a contractor or the person that you hired didn't do it on time. You went in there and did a lot of the stuff yourself. Then you use the Burr method to scale once you had a good thing going with every single one of these properties. You're adding equity, adding equity, snowballing, snowballing, snowballing. Now that you've got a really good thing going, you're expanding. That's the last thing that I just want to highlight. You're looking at getting your own crew so you can buy more properties and building a business. Ooh, and then as a little bonus thing here, you pick the right location. Whether it was on purpose or whether it just worked out, now you intentionally know. You say, where are the jobs going? And I want to go there. And I want to own that because you're looking at this as a property manager would. How can I get rents and how can I get a steady stream of employees, which was buying into a market that at the time was incredibly distressed and everybody was saying to stay away from. You went against that and you were able to build a pretty impressive snowball. So well done, my man. That's an inspiring story. Rob, anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, you've come a long way, man. A janitor making $10 an hour to having uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $750,000 in equity plus some some pretty generous cash flow here. What has this been able to afford you and your family? I know that you mentioned taking $50,000 worth of vacations, but what what else has this done for you? So it, it's, it's given me a peace of mind. And then one of the things that, uh, that I'm proud of is helped uh, my wife a lot. She's been able to be a stay-at-home mom. And kind of assist with the real estate, which she's also a realtor as well. She's the one who sells me uh, some of the properties as well and gives me uh, some tips there. But I'm able to spend spend the passive money without without you know pulling out that scrap sheet of paper every month and seeing if I you know have enough money to pay my bills. It, it just takes a lot of pressure pressure off me. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us today. We don't hear about these too often. This is a great one. I am sure a ton of people are going to be reaching out to say, I want to do what you just did. Where's the best place for people to go if they want to find out more about you? Uh, you can simply Google R-E with D 
Um, that's uh, Real Estate with Darius. I have my own website as well. So rewithd.com. Um, I have coaching on there. You can also go to my Facebook. That's rewithd. -E and you can also reach me on Instagram at Darius underscore one of one. And that's all spelled out. No numbers. One O-N-E-O-F-O-N-E. -O -O -E. Darius O-N-E-O-F-O-N-E. All right. Thanks, Darius. Rob, how about you? Where can people find out more about you? Find me on YouTube at Rob Bilt, R-O-B-U-I-L-T. And on Instagram at Rob Bilt as well. I post content uh, many, many times a week. And I teach you guys all this stuff and more. So go, go follow me there. What about you? Much like Carmen San Diego, Rob is traveling all over the place. So if you do want to find him, you're going to have to do it on social media, not <laughs> in real life. He's recording this from a hotel room right now at a conference. Busy man traveling all over the place. Hey, but I made my bed, though, if you can if you can tell, because I got in trouble on the Barbara Corkin oh, yeah. uh, interview by all the YouTubers. All the YouTube comments, they're like, bro, make your bed. And I'm like, I had <laughs> listen. It's just not the first thing I do every morning. You can find me at davidgreen24.com or you could go online on any social media platform and find me at davidgreen24. So please go give me a follow and reach out. Darius, thank you for being here, man. Awesome story. Love hearing this. And I just can't help but state that you have an incredible portfolio and you're a power lifter, not a Fitbit walker. I know causation isn't necessarily be creates correlation, but I, in this case, I really think it does. So Rob, just think about how rich you could be if you did more than just walking. Any, any last words for you, Darius? Um, no, no, I think this, I think you covered everything. I really appreciate you for having me. I remember being on bigger pockets back in 2015. I didn't think I would have, you know, own as many houses I own today. Mm. So it's just, and having bigger pockets is just, it is really helpful. Awesome. That's it. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, remember, you too could have a result just like Darius is. It's just about finding the right pieces, putting them all together, and staying focused on the goal. All right, Darius, we're going to let you get out of here. This is David Green for Rob. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego Abasolo signing off? The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.